The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Executive, you probably worry about how much revenue is going to come in in the next 6 to 12 months. Does that mean you need more salespeople? Or is it symptomatic of something else? To answer that question, Dave Lorenzo. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Joel, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, companies, uh, sometimes the obvious answer isn't always the right answer, but, uh, you know, but it's what people tend to do. So uh, if you're worried about coming up short over the next six or 12 months, is uh, is hiring more people the right uh, the right move? Not necessarily, Joel. So the thing that I like to focus on when I talk to people about this is let's talk about the depth of relationships that your salespeople have. And an easy way that you can gauge the depth of those relationships is bring your salespeople in and sit around the table with them and say, talk to me about the problems our clients are facing. I don't care if it's a problem that that we currently have a solution for. I want to know what's keeping our our, uh, customers up at night. Your best salespeople will immediately, right off the bat, be able to articulate two, three, five problems that their customers are having. And they would say, you know, CEO, I wish I had the solution to this because everybody's asking for this. The transactional salespeople are going to sit there like bumps on a log and they're going to be frozen like a deer in headlights because those are the people who, as the saying goes with the carpenter, they only got a hammer, right? So every problem looks like a nail. Well, well, that, that's kind of what I'm sitting here thinking is there are a lot of salespeople who don't have any idea what happens inside the building of their customer. They just sell the product, drop it off and, and, and move on to the next thing. So uh, there are clearly two entirely different types of sales, uh, and inside that there are infinite other types. But you know, you have the uh, the, the hit the, the hit it and quit it kind of just go real fast kind of people, and then you have those people that develop some long term relationships. So could you kind of define a little bit better what you're talking about? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think you're you're spot on. I call the first type hit and run salespeople. So they're they're very transactional, right? They're they're in there. They got a widget, and they're trying to sell everybody a widget. So the example that I give people all the time is from the credit card processing world. 
Uh, I've worked for years with Heartland Payment Systems. Uh, they're they're now a global payments company. Uh, you know, it's a national payments company. They got two types of people in Heartland. They're the people who sell 15 pizza shops a day on credit card processing. Then there's the second type. And that second type, they make sales calls, maybe three sales calls a day on banks. And what they're doing with the banks is they're telling the banker, hey, listen, I've got these customers that need really good banking relationships. Let me introduce the customers that need banking relationships to you. And in return, someday you're going to introduce your clients, some of your clients to me, and maybe I can get their credit card processing business. So think about that for a minute. The second person, relationship salesperson, makes three calls a day and they get 20 or 30 clients over the next month as a result. The first guy, he's out there banging on the door of 20. 20 pizza shops to make one deal, right? So the person who's the relationship salesperson, once they get into that business, they're talking to the CEO, they're finding out what's going on. And the CEO tells them, you know what I'm really struggling with? I wish you knew somebody who could help me with payroll processing. Well, lo and behold, Heartland heard that so much, they bought a payroll processing company because that's what their salespeople told them the problems that their customers were having were, and rather than continue to refer them out, they decided they were going to have a solution in-house. We're all capable of doing that. If you hear something over and over again, and you keep referring those clients to someone else, you got to figure out a way to solve that problem. That's how you can make sure you have predictable revenue, predictable cash flow for the long term. You know, let me, let me uh, I mean, Harlan's a giant company. So let's say for a more middle-sized company that doesn't quite have so much resources right. as that. Um, you know, one of the things that I tend to, uh, you know, tell people is that you got to be more specific than general and you have to kind of stay in your lane. So if your lane is credit card processing and you're great at credit card processing, um, might you also set up a joint venture with a payroll company and, and maybe, uh, you know, trade, uh, trade leads, trade referrals, uh, even trade commissions, you know, with these people, but sure. uh, but not make the substantial investment of, of owning and managing that kind of company. Is that a, another way to do it? Absolutely. So strategic alliance partnerships are a fantastic way to fulfill your customers' needs and make sure that the process in doing so is seamless. So you could do it by simply cross-training some, uh, you know, other, other people's reps in the products or services that you sell, training your reps in their products or services. And then if you wanted to, I love your, I love your joint commission methodology. You could uh, share commissions back and forth transparently so that everybody knew these are two separate companies, but we work in tandem together just because we want our customers to only come to us when they have a problem and we want to be the solution provider for them. You know, another way to do it, Joel, and I've seen sales reps do this on their own outside of their outside of their company is investigate solutions and create relationships with other sales reps and then say, you know, I've heard it, heard this problem before. My buddy Joel works for a great company and they've solved this problem a number of times. I'm going to come in next Tuesday at one and I'm going to bring Joel back and Joel will tell you about their solutions. So if you're a good salesperson or if your company hires good salespeople, they know relationships are everything. And even relationships with other salespeople in complementary service areas will advance your purposes because you're helping your clients solve problems. So let's let's take a step back kind of to the beginning. We, we originally talked about these hit and run salespeople. Right. And then these relationship salespeople. Um, 
Are there uh, just certain products that fall into the hit and run category or are there salespeople that kind of make them hit and run kinds of products? Are, are, are they born that way or are they kind of bred that? You know? Yeah, you know, anytime, anytime I say with absolute certainty that no product will be would be better with a relationship, uh, everybody benefits from relationship sales. Somebody gives me an example. So let's say cars, right? You get a car maybe once every three years, right? If you're if you're leasing once every five to 10 years, if you're if you're purchasing a car. Well, in, in my house, one of the things, I, you know, I'm a sales guy. I love to sell. I love to negotiate, but I don't like the time it takes to shop around for a great car. So years ago, I found a guy at a Lexus dealership who sold me my car and he was just a tremendous guy, called me afterwards, followed up for six months afterwards to make sure I was happy. When it came time for my wife to get a car, I called him and I said, listen, my wife doesn't want a Lexus. I told him the make and model of the car he wanted. I said, do you know anyone who can who can help us with this purchase? He said, yeah, me. He said, go test drive the car, find the exact model and the exact color you want, and then call me, give me the best price you got, and I'll make sure I get you a better price. So my wife got a Suburban. She wanted, you know, we got kids, we got pets. She, we got this massive family truckster now, right? <laughs> she wanted she wanted that. So I call my Lexus guy and I'm like, look, I don't think you can help me. She wants a Suburban. He's like, give me the model. He's like, give me two days. He found the exact model. He said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to send the money here. Gave me the a place to wire the deposit to. The car will come. You inspect it. Give them a cashier's check when they get there. The transaction will be done. They'll be dropped off at your house. This is a Lexus guy, sold my wife her Suburban, had it dropped off at the house. So I got seven other family members who drive, all of whom are asking me how I got them to deliver the car, You know how I got the great deal that I got. That guy did all seven cars for the last probably 12 years for my family. That's a hit and run sales transactional opportunity there. Most car dealers, the minute you walk off the lot, they're done because they got to sell 30 cars to make any money in a month. This guy stayed in touch with me. As a result, he sold our family BMWs. He sold my wife's uncle a Porsche. I mean, and he's at a Lexus dealer. If they can make car sales a relationship business, they can make anything a relationship business. You know, I have a real, I have a really good friend that is one of the uh, the the his company is one of the biggest training companies for uh, automotive in the country. And, you know, they they just train thousands of these uh, these guys. And and I got I'm, I'm going to have him listen to this thing because I wonder if other people could do the same thing. I mean, I have a a guy uh, at, at my dealership. You know, and, and I'll buy two three cars until I get tired of the brand and want to do something different or have some different need. But, you know, I, I lease cars. I, I like to do it in a very specific way. I'm very particular about how I organize the lease. And the guy kind of gets the pattern. So I call him up. Hey, listen, no fooling around. I'm going to buy a car. He knows that I bought many, many cars from him. And, and it's like he knows I'm going to come through. So I'm not pulling on your leg. Just make it happen. Give me the best deal. And, uh, you know, tell me what it's going to be. And let's, let's take a look. And I'll say yes or no. And, uh, but I never thought about going outside the brand. Because I mean, I'll stay with the brand because I want to stay with this guy, because I just think this guy is—he just takes such good care of me, and uh, you know, and you know, I've had that happen a couple of times, you know, through uh, been loyal to a couple of brands for the same reason. And Joel, here's the other thing, okay? And I'm going to reveal what a you know what a sucker I am, or what, how much of a sales guy I am. This guy now, what we do is we just go online and price the cars through Edmonds. 
And I show him what the price is on Edmonds. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll beat that price. And I know he's getting a commission somehow or there's a hold back and they pay him the whole. I don't care. I want him to make money. Just he makes the process such a great experience for me that candidly, I would even pay a little bit more if I had to to get this experience. And the members of my family think he's like a private car broker. Some of the other members, like my wife's uncle, he doesn't know this guy works at a Lexus dealership. He just calls him and tells him what he wants. <laughs> I mean, it's that's, a, I got to tell you that that is, relationships uh, trump everything, Joel. Relationships trump everything. That's an, that's quite an amazing story. I mean, if uh, if a car dealer could do it, they don't have the reputation of being such great relationship people. Although I will tell you, there are a couple of them that are just home run hitters. They uh, they are the best relationship people going, and they build remarkable followings. Uh, and they do awesome. So give us another so let example. Me, let me give you a, let me give you another example. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. When uh, so years ago, like a hundred years ago, when I was younger and had a ton of energy, uh, I worked for a hotel company. And part of my job was to do feasibility studies on acquisitions of hotels. And our game would be we would reflag the hotel. And then two or three years after we reflag the hotel, we'd refinance. The owners would pull their original investment out. And, you know, they'd they'd pay back the financing because the hotel would be the value would increase in the hotel. One of the secrets to doing this was improving the curb appeal of the property. So I found a tremendous landscape design company in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And they took, we had, we took a dump, a real dump of a days in, in the Meadowlands. If anybody's ever been to the Meadowlands, it, it, it sounds beautiful, but it looks and smells awful. Well, we took a days in in the Meadowlands and we made it a fantastic limited service Marriott hotel. And this landscape design guy improved the curb appeal so much that the owners were able to pull out all of their cash in like a year and a half. And it was it was just an incredible project. Next hotel I did was in Connecticut. I brought this guy from Jersey up to Connecticut. Same thing. I took that guy all up and down the East Coast with me. And he opened up different uh, branches of his company in five different states with us as the cornerstone because everybody would see the great job he did at these properties. And it was like a showpiece for him. So think about the landscapers that, you know, they're just going around, you know, from even commercial landscapers from business to business saying, hey, listen, I can I can do this job for less this guy had pre- had a prestige company, was able to charge prestige pricing because of the way he took care of me, because of the relationship he and I had together. I mean, it is, it's just a no-brainer. It really yeah. is. You know, we produce a, a trend report, which we send out to uh, clients of our firm, uh, friends of our uh, friends of our firm, et cetera. And uh, one of the trends uh, that is really critical, becoming more critical uh, day by day, is uh, is really uh, there's two there's corollary one one is uh, uh, money follows expertise so that would be the landscaper being the best landscaper that they can be the second is up your game which is the company that engages or hires the uh, the people not in your case you're talking about a vendor but we're talking about employees to employers that the employers have to up their game because because of this work from home phenomenon uh, you know, employees have more options they don't have to only work within 20 miles of their house. Companies don't have to only hire within 20 miles of their house. So they have many more options. Everybody's got to be the best they can be. So it relates not only to a vendor uh, type relationship that you're talking about, uh, where it pays to be the best that you can be, 
But even as an employee, it pays to be the best that you can be because companies have choices. And by the way, these employees employees have uh, choices that they just did not have before. So uh, I'm 100% with you that uh, you know everybody's got to be the best that they can be. Do you find most of the time that uh, either employers or uh, the customers are loyal to those uh, to those vendors? I mean, if they're if you would think they'd be a hundred percent loyal, but I'll bet you they're not. Uh, that that they would always work with them, and you know, eventually something goes wrong. What I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what it is, but eventually these things don't last forever. Yeah. So the key to uh, the key to exactly what you're talking about is frequency of communication, uh, post sale, and even with prospects as you're nurturing them to come along. The example that I give people all the time is let's talk about the best relationship you have in your life. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a brother or a sister, mother or father. If you only talk to that person once a month, would your relationship get stronger or would it get weaker? Well, if it was only once a month, it would get weaker. You know, your best friend or the person who's most important in your life, you probably talk to them every day. Some, you know, sometimes you talk to them multiple times a day. In the case of someone who has just completed a quote unquote transaction, that's the beginning of the relationship. You need to stay in touch with those folks at least monthly. My preference would be touch them in some way on a weekly basis. If something goes wrong and it has to do with my product or service, I want to know about it. Why? Because I want the opportunity to make that right. No matter what I have to do, if the perception is that you're not happy, I got to fix it. So frequency of communication not only builds trust, but it gives you the opportunity to really deepen the relationship for the long term. And from the hospitality industry, I can uh, I can point you to a study we did when I was at the Gallup organization. And we found that Customers who had a problem in a hotel and the problem was resolved in a way that wowed the customer, the problem was resolved in a way that blew the customer away. We found that those customers were five times more loyal than a customer that didn't have a problem. Think about that for a minute. So what's the missing element there? Somebody comes to me, they say, hey, Dave, I got a problem. My room is dirty. I'm not happy oh, Mr. Smith, I'm so sorry. That's not the way we like to do business here. Let me buy you lunch and let me go up to your room myself with the housekeeping team and we'll reclean your room so that it's spotless. After lunch, I'll walk back up with you and you and I will inspect the room together and we'll make sure that it's up to your standards and the standards you've come to expect from us. Okay, so what did I do? I bought the guy lunch and now I'm gonna take five minutes out of my day and walk through the room with him. He feels like he's the most important person in the world. And he knows that I care and that his business is important to me. He's gonna tell all his friends about that, about that experience that he's had. And that's gonna make him even more loyal. So, you know, the old adage that when a customer brings you a challenge or a concern or a problem, that's really an opportunity. It's all in the way we handle it. And if you handle it properly, you can make that relationship. You can use that problem like glue to cement the relationship for the long term. You know, a lot of companies uh, strictly bifurcate sales from customer service or or uh, or from account management. Uh what do you think the trend is looking like? Is that bifurcation going to continue? Do you think that these roles should be merged? You know, I mean, because what you're talking about 
is where salespeople are not just selling. And by the way, that means that commission structures and quotas and have to, everything have to be restructured to accommodate uh, this role. But what do you think is likely to happen? Well, so your, you know, your, your question is a good one. I think if you, uh, if you went and you asked a salesperson who, uh, particularly, a, you know, a high ticket product or service salesperson, they would tell you, listen, if there's a problem, I want them to call me. I don't want them to call my customer service people. And here's the reason why. If these people are happy, I'm going to get a referral from them. And it's 10 times easier to close a referral than it is for me to make a cold call and have to and have to try and build a relationship up. So what I'd prefer as a salesperson, I'd prefer they call me and then I'll be the liaison with the customer service people because I got my relationships internally. I know which customer service people are better than others. I know who's going to make this a priority. The salesperson who's on top of their game always wants to be that point of contact because they know that every customer that they acquire is really three or four or five customers because of the power of referrals. So that salesperson, they wanna be the point of contact. So if you're a CEO of a mid-market company right now and you've bifurcated this and you've got a separate area handling customer service and that area has no contact with the salespeople, you're costing yourself money. You're costing your company money. The salespeople should be involved in that process because the goodwill that comes from resolving that problem will result in referrals. And who better to convert those referrals than the salesperson, not necessarily a customer service person whose job is just to solve the problem and make sure you're happy. Well, I would say most salespeople uh, would probably line up with that, you know, relationship related salespeople. Uh, but very, I think rather few companies kind of operate that way. I mean, I think that they uh, they pay salespeople to sell and they pay customer service people with service, and and you know, and it ends up not being an optimized situation. So yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. I mean, and you know, you know why that is, Joel? Because relationships are hard, right? It's easier to train someone about needs, benefits, and features, right? So I can, it's easy for me to ask you three questions, find out, find out what your needs are, and then tell you how the, the benefits uh, of my product will help fill those needs and then show you the features and get you excited. And then once you're excited, you sign on the dotted line and then I disappear. It's easier to train me to do that than it is to hire somebody who at their core is empathetic somebody who can ask questions to uncover not just what you need today, but ask questions to uncover what you're going to need down the road. It's hard to find those people. And then once you find them, it's really hard to train them. Much easier to train a hit and run salesperson to spew needs, benefits, and features. And in the corporate world, we always like to take the easy way out, right? If you build your sales force around relationships, number one, you're going to need fewer salespeople. Number two, the lifetime value of your customers is going to go through the roof. And you're going to be able to predict your cash flow in advance because your salespeople will uncover secondary, tertiary, and fourth level needs. And then you can structure your company to hopefully solve those problems down the road. 
this is the thing that is, uh, you know, candidly the bane of my existence because I go into places and I tell them, let's hire the right people who are empathetic and who can ask the right questions. And I hear all the time, oh, it's too hard. It takes two. I need well, salespeople how, tomorrow. How do you, it takes so how do you, how do you do that? How do you find these kind of high quality people? And then I have a second question and that is, you know, does the company worry that the customer is going to be more loyal to the salesperson than they are to the company. And if the salesperson ever leaves to a competitor, they're going to take them with them. Well, let's take the second part first. Okay. And the second part, by taking the second part first, I'll answer the first part. If your whole company is structured around relationships, what happens is you as the business owner in a mid-market company realize that your key to success, because you can't touch every customer yourself is hiring people who feel the same way about the customer that you feel, and then you treat your employees as if they're your customer. Too often, I mean, I met with, uh, years ago, having been steeped in the Marriott culture, I met with a, a person who owned a uh, glorified hardware store, one of these big box hardware stores. I'm not gonna throw the guy under the bus. And his deal was, he would say over and over again, hey, we need, you know, we just need, uh, X number of uh, bodies on the floor, because if we put that many bodies on the floor, that equals X number of dollars at the register. And the answer was not more bodies on the floor. It was people on the floor who were interested in hearing why the customers came to that store, uncovering what they were trying to accomplish, and then walking them through the store to get what they needed to accomplish it. So the answer to your question is, your business has to be structured from the leadership on down to be a business that treats employees as if they're the most valuable uh, people in the organization. Because if the employees feel valued and the employees are demonstrated, you demonstrate to the employees that relationships are important to you, that's what you're going to get when the employees are facing the customers. So if you're looking to hire great salespeople, the best thing you can do is give them an assessment upfront that really is indicative of the level of empathy they have and the level of intellectual curiosity they have, and then align that empathy and intellectual curiosity with a training program that's designed to help them build relationships with clients. And then you, as the leader, have to demonstrate that in the way you deal with the employees. If you deal with your employees on a transactional basis, your employees are going to deal with their customers on a transactional basis. But if you're concerned about the employees and you deal with them from, a, from the standpoint of treating them as human beings and rewarding them and recognizing them based on the mission, the purpose, and the overall goals of your organization, you're going to find they're going to treat their customers the same way. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm with you. I, uh... I think that the management of the organization has to be part of this, uh, you know, customer service in initiative. The salespeople have to be part of it. The accountants have to be part of it. I I've always believed everybody sells. Uh, you know, either you sell or you anti-sell. You know, you're either attracting people to the company or away from the company. So in that case, even the janitor, even even the lowest person on the totem pole, whoever that person is in your organization, can have a negative impact on a customer. Uh, they may not have a lot of contact, but if they're leaving trash, if they're not cleaning properly, if they're not doing whatever, whatever, uh, everybody can have some negative impact and, uh, and everybody therefore needs to be treated with respect. Everybody needs to be treated as a very important uh, member of the team. Uh, I, I'm with you. 
But to go back to the uh, the hiring part, if it's hard to hire these people, how do you find them? How do you assess them? How do you determine that they're the kind of people who are empathetic and that are relationship driven? So the first thing you, you need to do is you need to look at where the the people who are who embody those qualities, what industries do they gravitate toward? Where where do you, where do they where do you find them most frequently? Right now, today, if you wanted to transform, let's say you had a let's go back to the car dealership. Let's say you had a car dealership, you wanted to transform that car dealership, right? Where are there, what industry now has the most people unemployed? The hospitality industry. You think you can find a handful of empathetic people in your community who used to work in the hospitality industry who could be trained on handling issues related to car sales? You got it. What you have to do is you have to structure your company around the customer and the, and the type of experience the customer wants to have. So what I would do if I had a if I had a car dealership, I live in Miami. If I had a car dealership in Miami right now, I would go out and canvas people who are in the hospitality industry who are looking for jobs. And I would find people who are the most empathetic people who are relationship oriented folks. I would develop a behavioral interview to highlight the level of empathy that they had. And I would hire the best people from the hospitality industry. And then I would train them on how to sell cars. So you're going to say to me, okay, Dave, well, tell me about this interview. How would you develop this interview? The interview is very simple. All you're going to do is you're going to ask people to tell you specific stories about the best customer service they've ever experienced, the best customer service they've ever provided, and why those experiences were so important and so valuable to them. The person who gives you two or three specific stories and highlights the emotions they felt during that experience, that's a person who's empathetic. That's a person who can help develop relationships for the long term. So when you find those people, train them on the technical aspects of your business, but you're hiring them based on what they got in here, based on what they have inside, based on how they treat people and how they're, how they're personally made up. You're not hiring them because they used to sell Jeeps at the car dealership down the street. Well, that's the biggest exactly, mistake, the biggest mistake yeah. we make in business today is hiring people based on experience and not based on who they are. Yeah. Well, that, listen, that, uh, that that by itself, that is a big mistake. But, you know, one of the things that I wonder about, uh, and, and I don't want to stereotype, uh, you know, management or anything too much, but, you know, I, I can imagine that an empathetic salesperson, that might not fit into the culture of a really hard driving, hard charging sales team uh, at a car dealership. I mean, if, if they've organized themselves as really hardcore salespeople, uh, the empathetic, uh, you know, soft person uh, you know, who may be the most effective person that they could ever find may not be a good cultural fit. And, and the people hiring them may not, uh, you know, even like them because they just seem to be too soft and nice compared to the other people that they're used to dealing with. Yeah. So you're, you're spot on. And here's what, um, here's what we, what I've done in a couple of places where the leadership said exactly that. What we did is we we would set up a competition where, uh, you know, they would give me maybe 10 people or they would say, we got 10 slots. You pick the 10 people and we'll put them up against 10 people who've been here for a long time and you train them and then we'll turn them loose for a year. You can coach them up throughout the course of the year and we'll see what happens. 
And nine times out of 10, the, the people who are hired based on their, you know, their internal workings, their personality, their, their individual makeup, and are trained properly outperform in some cases two to one, the transactional hit and run salespeople, even in the most, most ruthless sales jobs there are. And the reason they do that is because they're allowed to be exactly who they are day in and day out, and they're allowed to focus on growing relationships over the long term. So what do the empathetic people do that the hit and run salespeople don't do? Everybody that the empathetic people meet, the empathetic people stay in touch with them and they nurture them forever. So seven or eight months after they've met them, if they haven't purchased, guess what happens? They may have made a bad decision, the customer, and they come back to them and they go, you know, I went with your competitor. It was a big mistake. You've been communicating with me this whole time. I'm going to give you a shot. Let's make it right. The hit and run salespeople, they got to go out and work twice as hard because they're churning through prospects like crazy. So the best thing they can do, remember, I'm old enough to remember the Pepsi challenge. Remember on TV, they used to put cans of Coke on one <laughs> side, cans of Pepsi and cover them up. And people in supermarkets would drink them and they would say, I like this one. Oh, it's Pepsi, right? And they would say, take the Pepsi challenge. In your own business right now today, do the Pepsi challenge. Hire two people based on their ability to develop relationships, give them the tools and training they need, and then compare their results after a year to the other two people that you've hired who are just going through the hit and run sales training and let's see who does better. Yeah, well, listen, man, this is uh, this is the inside track on, on, on steady revenue. You know, it, it's all about relationships. It's all about, uh, you know, really uh, finding people who can connect with the customers in a different way. And maybe the hardcore, uh, sales days of the 80s and 90s are behind us because maybe they're not working anymore. So, uh, or maybe that's a conversation for another time. But Dave, listen, man, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for uh, sharing your insights. This has been an awesome conversation. Joel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Very good, man. We'll be in touch. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.